Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. And now we're into episode two of The Triangle. Dirty Money, Here's How to Clean It by Ed Adams, a novel. Walking Through Walls Late afternoon near Deauville, northern France, and a little Cessna plane landed smoothly. It taxied towards an edge of the small but rather exclusive airport. A dark Mercedes saloon waited while a woman climbed out of the flight. The driver shook hands with the woman who got into the back of the car, which edged quietly away. The pilot busied himself with plane-checking procedures in the closing light of a surprisingly pleasant November evening. A little later, the same car pulled up at a distinguished hotel which looked like a Norman manor. The passenger left the vehicle and, carrying no luggage, walked directly to the elevators and towards a room in the hotel. In London, Jake, Bigsy and Claire had grabbed a cab to Mark's. Of them all, Mark was probably the staunchest friend of Lucien and they'd known one another for many years. Jake, Bigsy and Claire decided it was respectful to let Jake relay the news in more detail to Mark alone. Bigsy knew a nearby pub, so he and Claire left Jake at Mark's door and walked a few yards to the pub. Bigsy quickly scoped the room and selected a corner table. He and Claire made claim it by depositing coats, and then Bigsy approached the bar to order the drinks. Claire sat waiting, noting a strong, slightly sweet-smelling aroma from the immediate surroundings. Bigsy returned, and they looked at one another. "'I know,' said Claire. "'I think it's Jasmine.' They looked around and then Claire pointed to a small white box at the same height as the music speakers. There it is, she pointed. How American, said Bigsy. We can't go to a bar now without having perfume squirted at us. Now if it was chips and whiskey, Bigsy trailed off. They sat in silence for a few seconds, except for the noise of Bigsy opening some flamed steak potato crisps and spreading the opened packet on the dark oak table between them. That news about Lucien was terrible, Bigsy eventually continued. Bigsy and Claire's eyes locked in agreement. They both had similar views about Lucien. Bigsy tested the way he could say it. He was a nice enough guy, but uh, quite quiet. I always found him pretty intense, and this could make him hard work for a whole evening. Claire nodded agreement. I think he was a little bit afraid of me or something. Not just shy. He didn't seem to find it very easy to talk to me, and he always looked as if he was getting ready to make apologies to move on. They both knew that Lucien usually looked a little reserved and formal in his choice of clothes and general style. He always wore a suit to work, and when they'd been out with him, it had usually been with him along as an accessory to an event selected by Jake or Mark. Lucien had nearly always come along alone, and often still in his work clothes. Bigsy and Claire thought of Lucien mainly as Jake's friend. In the chain of social friendships, Lucien knew Mark well. Jake also knew Mark well, and Lucien would sometimes show up at Jake's social occasions. They'd all been for drinks together occasionally, although Jake, Claire and Bigsy had regarded Lucien as something of an outsider at social events. Lucien was pleasant, but didn't enter into the spirit of their in-jokes, nor take the lead in the conversation. Lucien seemed to have done well for himself living in Hampstead, which pretty much guaranteed him a smart address, but in reality he was in a house converted from a larger house into a number of expensively priced little boxes. Bigsy continued, I can't really see why anyone would do that to Lucien. He's got to be a victim of some accident or mistake. Lucien's not exactly a risk taker. 
Claire nodded. Yes, Lucien's highlights seemed to involve stories about things that happened on his bus ride to work. Both Pixie and Claire thought Lucien completely underexploited where he lived, both in terms of the immediate environment and also the lack of use he made of his easy access to all of central London. If he'd been alive, Claire and Bixie would have privately labelled Lucien a loser, but because he was a friend of Jake and he was now dead, they owed the loyalty of support to Jake. So, will we stick around here tonight, asked Bixie, or head back north? It was only to Finsbury Park in North London, but they were near to Gloucester Road on the edges of fashionable Kensington in West London at the moment. Claire shrugged her answer. Whatever, I think we're all going to be calling in sick tomorrow at this rate. Claire's job was expendable. She'd been seeing a different friend of Jake's for a long time, got to know a lot of Jake's crowd, and then when she'd had a major breakup, had decided to stay around Jake, who always seemed to have good things happening. She was between men right now and hung out with Big Z, purely platonically, and Jake, why spoil a good thing? Claire's real interest was to get into TV or radio, and the other jobs she had were really time markers until she could crack the media formula. She was quite a good actress and had been in some lesser roles in stage productions and her other day work was really what she considered to be between roles, but one up from bar work or waitressing. Claire was also very interested in backstage roles and production and in her heart she knew she'd probably wind up there rather than on stage or in front of the cameras, but that would still do nicely. Jake's crowd had been a real find because Jake worked for a magazine and seemed to interview all kinds of interesting people, admittedly usually C-list types, but C-list with access nonetheless. This gave her more of the ever-essential contact as she sought ways to further herself in showbiz. Claire's originally slightly mercenary interest in Jake's friends had flipped into a true friendship with the group when she'd broken up with her last boyfriend. When she first lived in London, she'd been in a nasty flat around Elephant and Castle. Then she'd moved in with Steve until he drove her nuts, and then she didn't have anywhere to stay. Using the evening standard to find a flat was ridiculous. They walked off the page as fast as they were advertised. Word of mouth was the only answer. Then moved her into a new nearby flat that a friend was leaving. It was somewhat better than the place she'd left in the Elephant and Castle. They'd bailed her out on rent for a couple of weeks, and then she got the new job, which paid well but was mind-numbingly boring, creating photographic images for corporate leaflets. The joke was that the fees she could charge for taking a photograph, tweaking the colours, and then merging it into a document with some text was obscene, and Claire thought it was a quick way to pay off some debts and get solvent again. Biggs's job was semi-manual. He repaired computer company equipment and networks as a geek in a van, except he used his cherished, though slightly scruffy, Rover car. Mainly he was a freelance addition to various large companies who needed something repaired at a diverse location. Half the time this meant driving somewhere, pulling the plug out of the back of the device, counting to ten, plugging it back in, and then everything worked. Sometimes it was more complicated, and Bigsy really did know how computers worked, so he could fix most things. Tomorrow, if he didn't go to his client out west in Andover, he might just have to phone them and tell them the unplugging trick, although once he'd done that, his supply of repeat business may tail off from that particular organisation. Jake was the common link that had introduced Big Z, Lucien, Claire and Mark. Jake was a pretty well-established journalist and had his own byline in the monthly magazine that was his main source of income. In addition, he did freelance work for other publications, and this veered from The Guardian through to the advertising flyers handed out free on the Heathrow Express. 
Jake had been writing in newspapers and magazines pretty much since school. He'd edited a school broadsheet, then at university ran a music magazine, which also let him get into many gigs without paying. Then after a rather odd dalliance with a fishing magazine, he'd moved into more cutting-edge urban-style magazines, which is where he worked now. Street was the current magazine. A strong readership, internet profile, good advertising, and viewed as a foreteller of the next big thing. That's how the graffiti artist show with the rats had first appeared, after Jake saw the early signs of the admittedly classy graffiti around the streets of East London. Bizarrely, Lucian had accompanied Jake to the show a few weeks earlier and appeared very interested, which was the reason Jake passed the free tickets from the private viewing to Lucien a week or so ago. There was a buzzing sound from the table in the pub. Both Bixie and Claire looked down to where their drinks were um, stored. It was Bixie's phone that was buzzing, and ever so slightly moving across the table. Grim-faced, Bigsy lifted it to his ear. Come over, said the voice. Mark's given me the lowdown. I think there may be more to this than it seems. Let's leave for tonight. But I think I may need some help tomorrow. Bigsy nodded to Claire. She already knew they'd all be spending time on this tomorrow. OK, replied Bigsy, downing the remains of his beer and delicately picking up the last two crisps. But let's go back to my place so we're all ready for an early start tomorrow. At the same moment, in Deauville, France, the well-dressed woman slid her key into the electronic lock of her hotel room. She walked in, closed the door quietly and flicked the deadlock. She crossed the room, passed the bed and stood near to the balcony which looked out to sea. Near to the side of the bed there was another door, the type that is used to make two adjacent rooms in a hotel linked together. She twisted the door lock and opened her door, revealing another door belonging to the adjoining room. She pushed on the second door, which opened immediately. She softly closed both doors, locking the one for the new room she had entered. Inside the room she looked towards the bed and then picked up the nearest pillow. She felt inside it and retrieved a large envelope. Without further examination, in one movement she stepped towards the door of the new room, quietly opened it and after checking both ways made her way back into the hotel corridor. If she was stopped she could say that she had been asked to carry the unopened envelope by someone else. A few moments later, she stepped into an Italian-registered Alfa Romeo. She flicked on the headlights, briefly revved the engine, and then pulled out of the hotel and headed for the auto route.